to What the Fertility Season 2. Today we're sitting down with Tracy Keen, CEO of Mate Fertility. Mate Fertility is a group of fertility doctors on a mission to make the path to parenthood less complicated, less expensive, and a lot more accessible. Welcome, Tracy. Oh, thank you. Thanks so much for being on. I'm super excited to hear about Mate Fertility as a whole. Um, and then obviously kind of understand how you got integrated to, to work with them. So if you wouldn't mind kind of sharing with listeners, just maybe the mission and the background of what Mate Fertility is. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. So um, the background of Mate Fertility, I think it's probably easiest to sort of contextualize uh the fertility industry as a whole before we double click on why mate is doing what we're doing. So in the United States, uh, the vast majority of clinics over 80% are located in top 10 markets, uh, New York, Los Angeles, Miami, et cetera. And when we look at fertility, one of the main limiting factors, we always hear about how expensive it is. We always hear about, you know, a variety of things, but we never talk about geography. And geography is probably, in my opinion, one of the most limiting factors of all, because the sheer volume of appointments you have to attend when you're undergoing uh, a single cycle, which most times takes more than one cycle, is, is just out of reach for most people. So the vast majority of the population in the United States lives over two hours from a fertility clinic. And if you have a job that you have to be in the office every day, taking off 10 to 14 days over a three week period is virtually impossible, especially when you're doing multiples of that. So what we do at Mate Fertility, uh, because there aren't enough doctors and there aren't enough clinics in the United States, we partner with OB-GYNs in underserved markets and upskill and enable them to offer full spectrum reproductive care, including IVF. OB-GYNs are the natural fit for our model because the first person you go to when you're struggling with infertility is your OB-GYN. So it makes a lot of sense in the patient ecosystem, but also for these doctors to be able to capture that within their ecosystem for continuity of care purposes. Uh, it's just a much better patient experience. Yeah, absolutely. So I, um, I actually work for OBGYNs um, in the South Carolina area. And that is something that obviously, Let us know. right, as I was going to say, Charleston is one of those saturated cities. I mean, we have four clinics, but um, for all of our listeners, almost every podcast we have on the very first thing is guests say, well, yeah, I go to the clinic in Chicago, and it's two to four hours away, or I go to go to this other clinic. So what a concept. And I'm assuming you guys are still growing because do you have how many locations? do you guys have now? Right now, we have three open functioning locations, uh, Oklahoma City, our flagship in Oklahoma. And then we have San Luis Obispo. There's a satellite of that office in Fresno, California. And we'll be opening in Northern Virginia and Pittsburgh in early the first half of 2023. We're hoping to open two more next year as well. Those are pending contract. That's so exciting. So just a little to dive a little bit deeper. Does that is there an actual fertility clinic or you're saying we're partnering with these OBGYNs and these are the list of the doctors. I went on your, your website, which is super interesting. And it sounds like you can take a quiz and it has all the doctors listed. So would these patients be going into an OBGYN office or how does that work? Yeah. So what we do is, uh, 
it, because this hasn't existed before, you know, the disjointed way that it works uh, for anyone who's been through IVF is going to know this. You go to your OB-GYN, right? And they use, you're struggling to get pregnant or something's going on. And they say, I'm going to send you to a fertility doctor. And then you go outside of that realm of your OB-GYN care and you have to, you know, travel, go see this doctor, et cetera, et cetera. What we do is actually we take our team of fertility specialists and we partner with these OB-GYNs and we also have PhD lab directors to oversee the lab direct, the direction of the lab, which is where all the magic happens. And then we upskill them totally and then we support them remotely. So it makes, because there are only a thousand fertility doctors in the United States of America. It's a crazy and statistic. And that's crazy. just fertility, not even like reproductive immun um, immunology. So, cause then it gets even more. That's dip. right. That's right. So there's a, there's a massive supply demand issue in the marketplace. And also it's really important for us to sort of zoom out and contextualize this globally because there are only two countries in the world that have the fellowship for uh, reproductive endocrinology, which is what an REI is. Um, to be an REI, you have to first be an OB-GYN, then you apply to the fellowship. There are only about 40 positions a year. Um, and it's pretty, it's largely academic. And then, you know, they teach you how to do egg retrievals and transfers, which is the physical part of it. In the rest of the world, this fellowship doesn't exist. When we look at the United States and Canada as well, they have the longest wait times, they have the highest prices, and they have the least access to care on a holistic basis to fertility doctors. And that's not to say that there's anything wrong with the fellowship. We actually feel like it's really important. Um, that's why we have five REs that we work with on our team to make sure that our protocols are, you know, best in the business. That's why we work within the framework, but we're doing it a little differently because the only person losing out in the end with the current model, which really hasn't adapted and changed over its 40 years of existence, is, you know, it's too reliant on these singular doctors. They're getting burnt out. Patients don't have the access they need. And so our model is really set up to distribute their knowledge more broadly and get more trainers and more clinics open. So to answer your original question, we we make them a full service clinic. So you're going to go to your hometown facility. Let's say um, you're saturated in Charleston. So let's use like Beaufort, South Carolina or something like that. Yeah. Let's say we find an uh, OB who says, you know, a lot of my patients are coming to me about infertility. Um, I'm doing monitoring for other facilities in the area. And we, we would really like to be able to offer this service. It's kind of like what Invisalign did for dentists. So we then teach them everything, help them build an IVF lab, oversee that lab for them. We oversee the protocols and we educate them on the actual physical pro procedure, which OB-GYNs are already doing far more complicated procedures. So, you know, when you look at a cesarean section, a hysteroscopy, you know, it's not to diminish the importance of an oocyte retrieval, because of course, like any medical procedure, things can go wrong. But comparatively speaking to some of the other surgeries that they're doing, it's, it's a little bit more straightforward. And in addition, just I'm a numbers person. I come from a financial background. So when we're looking at from an actuarial perspective, uh, insurance coverage is malpractice insurance. Just if you evaluate uh, malpractice for an RE, reproductive endocrinologist versus an OB-GYN, OB-GYNs are through the roof 
which indicates a higher level of risk on the procedures that they're doing. So we know from an actuarial perspective, these procedures are less risky than a lot of the procedures that are already being performed by ob Oh, absolutely. And about 70%, and we're just speaking IVF because IUI makes complete sense. We'll do that in the outpatient center. Um, you can train the OBGYN to do that. So even IVF though, like 70% of that is just ultrasounds, uh, right. which is already covered, already services they're providing. You touched on a good point with insurance. So I'm sure, I'm sure listeners are like, how does that work with our insurance? Is it, is it really just like from the insurance party? Is it really like, oh, they're just getting clinic. They're just getting care within this OBGYN clinic, or is there a differentiator there when the claims go out? So it's differentiated. And we personally have found to date that less than 10% of our patients have insurance coverage for infertility. And there are a lot of restrictions around it um, that people are often uh, in, for various reasons, you know, we could talk about some some issues with LGBTQ exclusions from. Would love to, yeah, would love to, to touch on that. And, you know, even in my situation, which I'm not sure you're aware of. So we um, come from our fertility background is reoccurrent miscarriage. And so typical health insurance, you know, you do the three IUIs before they'll cover the IVF. And That's right. yeah, like IUI wasn't going to do anything for me. I can get pregnant. Um, well, that's what that's what we look at, um, you know, pretty broadly. And what we're trying to do, and we do think, um, or at least I think, uh, and I would say that a lot of people tend to agree. Again, I'm going to zoom out a little bit and bring it back in. So right now, less than 2% of the population in the United States is actually receiving uh, IVF. So that's a really small percentage of the population. It feels we- like 200, 200% nowadays. Well, yeah. And when we look at the population that actually needs it, it's upwards, it's, you know, between 20 and 30% of the population, if you're including LGBTQ, who aren't technically infertile, obviously, they just need third party reproduction. Absolutely. Um, And then genetic considerations, etc. The numbers are increasing exponentially. When we look at other countries, um, Japan, Denmark, et cetera, you know, 10 to 15% of their babies are being born using IVF already. So we have a pretty big delta there. And also I really like to contextualize the total size of the market. So the total size of the market in the United States that's not being addressed currently. Last year we did 300,000 IVF cycles and to actually just meet current demand, just meet current demand, not provide an excess, we would have needed to do 3 million. Wow. So we're we're not even close to being able to serve the population that needs access to this care. And when we look at, you know, the United, the way that we look at the markets that we like, which is very different, most people are going into big cities, et cetera. We scrape for very specific things that we're looking for in a good market for us that we would then rate an A plus market. And then we can go to try to find that provider. There are over 300 A markets in the United States. So oh, I believe it. Yeah. But back to that crazy Delta, you know, if you take, we on average in one of our facilities will perform, you know, 450 to 500 procedures a year. Um, you know, you take that number and you multiply it by 300, you're still not even coming close to closing the gap of meeting the need. So, you know, our model is really about trying to serve the underserved markets. And that vastly lives, you know, between the coasts, if, if you want to think about it that way. And when we look historically, you know, A, we know 80% of clinics are in those big cities. B, we, um, 
80, it's a little over 80% of recipients of care, Caucasian, heterosexual, married women that make over $100,000 a year and they live in a big city, okay. which when we look at the United States, that's only a very broad slice, a uh, very small slice of who needs access to the care. And, um, you know, we know that as an example, black women experience infertility at twice the rate of white women. Um, and so, but when we look at where market it's our, you know, placing clinics, that's not historically been the case. Yeah. So um, back to your insurance question, and the only 2% receiving it, we need to increase the absolute number of cycles and also eliminate some bias. And there are a number of lawsuits going on right now. Uh, I know from third party uh, LGBTQ couple uh, versus Aetna about exclusion from coverage due to the um, the verbiage that's used in a lot of these policies mm -hmm. about trying naturally yeah. um, to for coverage. And as you mentioned, you know, IUI is not the best path for a lot of people. Um, we also find, um, you know, tubal ligation is an example. Sometimes that occurs at an early age for a variety of reasons. And, um, you know, reversal is not covered by insurance either. And there's no guarantee that there won't be scar tissue damage, et cetera. So IVF is really the clearest path when time is of the essence or when there are other medical considerations that could be circumvented by going straight to IVF. So our goal is really, you know, we we are cash pay. We do take uh, employer benefits policies, which tend to have the best coverage for infertility or uh, fertility care. Um, and we provide super billing for the elements that may be covered by your insurance policy. As an example, you know, your ultrasound or your fertility assessment. So we do cash pay at the front or we do employer benefit reimbursement. And then we um, facilitate what you need in the event that you do have coverage there. Uh, that, this whole concept is wild to me. I mean, you guys are probably one of the only companies doing this right now, or is there a somewhat of a market? I'm on the East Coast, so you're like, well, you're probably like seven years ahead of me over there in LA. <laughs> no, no, we're, um, you know, nobody else is doing what we're doing in the way that we're doing it. So, you know, we we always say when people are like, who's your competitor? We exactly. say we don't we don't actually need to compete. Like I think that what Kind Body is doing is wonderful. I think that what Oma Fertility is doing is wonderful. Their models are very different than ours. And also when we go back to those numbers, those deltas between meeting the demand, there's I say for everyone. <laughs> there's right, that's right. We're not trying to take a piece of anyone's pie. We just want to bake a bigger pie so that at the end of the day, patients have the access that they need. And I think, you know, what we're seeing, too, is some alarming statistics around the increases in infertility. And then we also have uh, increases in diagnosis of endometriosis and PCOS and other conditions that, you know, impact fertility. Um, and I think there's an increasing awareness, too. You know, Michelle Obama had IVF and was open about it. Or, you know, we just saw the big article that came out about Jennifer Aniston and all of her attempts. And I think there's been a bit of a uh, a taboo around the subject, if you will. You know, I personally am a member of the LGBTQ community. So we know as a community that third party reproduction is a route that we may elect to utilize. Um, and I don't think it touches on the same. Uh, it, of course, there are psychological factors involved in all fertility treatment, in my opinion. Um, but I think there's a level of... Uh, 
you know, taboo in that people don't necessarily know what's happening, why it's not happening. And, you know, it, especially I think, I think male factor infertility is really difficult for uh, people to discuss. Um, even though we know that sperm counts have declined by 50% since 1960, uh, there was a big article that came out about military sperm counts being even far more depleted than that. Um, so, you know, when we look at all the factors impacting us, and there's a lot of comparison that, you know, it's infertility is running analogous to climate change. Um, but we're way behind it in the public, uh, in the court of public opinion and the conversations that are associated with it. And let's be candid, the shame that I think a lot of people feel if their body's not doing what they're expecting it to do. Oh, absolutely. I mean, expect you touched on a great point, like male factor. It's so quiet because generally the spouse that, that that's a male is like, oh, don't say anything. You know, it's, it's my fault, my fault with quote air quotes over there. But you touched on, I know we've been talking about IVF a ton, um, but you did mention some other factors. So mate fertility, I was on your website and I saw you guys offer a, a decent amount of services in terms of like genetic screening and egg freezing. Um, do you kind of want to list those off just quickly? I know we have a lot of listeners that, um, are in their mid thirties that are really considering like cryopreservation. Yeah. Um, we actually got voted the most affordable, uh, cryopreservation facility in the United States. Um, so, you know, we feel that it's one of those things that if people can start having that conversation and awareness early, uh, it's going to make a big difference, you know, back to the stress thing. Uh, if you're, delaying pregnancy for any reason, it's really good idea to get, you know, we have AMH kits that you can purchase online, which AMH is just an indicator of ovarian reserve. Um, it doesn't indicate your level of fertility, but what it does is it gives you a roadmap. It gives you, you know, it's going to sound the alarm bells if something's going on and you need to address it sooner than later. But, you know, when we look at the struggles that can be accompanied by infertility, information is everything. So, you know, it doesn't ever hurt to have a fertility assessment, even if you're not ready to do it yet. You may then decide that, oh, I would love to freeze my eggs because that's going to alleviate a bunch of subconscious stress that I'm experience, experiencing because I am focusing on my career right now or whatever it is. Um, and back to what you were mentioning, you know, we offer everything that an infertility clinic offers. Uh, we do, we are going to be adding surrogacy programming as well, which is really important for third parties. Yeah, I um, saw that like gestational carriers and then like egg donation as well. That's, that's right. Huge. So we like to get our providers up and running first on all the baselines, um, you know, predominantly focused on IVF. And then once they've been up and running for a little bit, we'll enable them to offer those services as well. Um, you know, and it's, it's anything that you can find anywhere. We want to make sure that you can find it at mate. So we, and we also want to always be more affordable. So the way that we price, we tend to be 30 to 40% less than others in the market. And pricing is such a sensitive subject because there is no apples to apples comparisons out there. So if you go on one website, they'll say, Hey, we offer IVF for, you know, however much we'll just say $7,000. And what that doesn't include is not listed, right? So then right. the number ends up being, we offer all-inclusive pricing. So our price is what it is. Uh, you're not going to get like sticker shock on the back end. And we tend to come in 30 to 40% less than anyone uh, in the proximity if we are going into a market where there's competition. 
Yeah, that's just, I, I'm just so blown away by this concept. Like even just going through your website, I don't think I got the full, I'm glad you kind of zoomed out a little bit and, and explained it from like even a global level. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't even know where to go from here because you have done such a good job. I think I'd really be interested if you could, so say I was like listening to this episode and said, wow, mate fertility, I want to do that. I live in the middle of nowhere. Um, do you guys have the take the quiz on your website? And I haven't done it yet. So how does that work? If someone went on your website and did the take the quiz, does that kind of, could you walk us through what that looks like? Yeah, so it's going to geolocate you based on your proximity to another clinic. And obviously, we only have the three right now. We'll be opening our East Coast facilities uh, early in 2023 or through mid-2023. Our goal is really to have broad geographic spread so that when you go on the website, you take that quiz and it's going to automatically route you to the center that's closest to you. You would then be contacted by a member of our patient care navigation team. So a lot of what we do is picking up on this, you know, really consumer facing trend of people want to have the ability to just make a phone call from their home, right? We don't want to go to the doctor every single time we need to talk to the doctor. We want to be able to have that access. And a big part of our model is really adapted around that consumer experience. So you, you just touched on a great point, just real quick. So women don't, or they, they don't need a referral. Is that correct? They can just, correct. awesome. That's yep. a huge barrier. I think that a lot of people don't realize they don't need a referral. To That's go right. You do not need a referral. And I'm so glad you touched on that because sometimes it's the simple things that people, you know, don't think about. And because of the way our model is set up and, you know, we also have financial counselors, as we all know, um, it's not something that's inexpensive, even though we are more affordable, it's still not inexpensive. We just have to call that what it is and be honest about it. Um, we have financial counselors who will work with you and we have 0% financing options. Um, and we try to really make sure that the patient understands everything before they set foot in the office. So a big part of what we're also trying to do is be efficient with our doctor's time. So we want you to go into the doctor's office, that doctor sees you, talks to you about the treatment plan, et cetera, et cetera. We have IVF coordinators who are actually the linchpin of any system. Anybody who's been through IVF is gonna tell you who's the most important person in that process. Is the nurse. Oh yeah. You're um, not talking to the doctor. You're doing those back-to-back -back messages with, Hey, I accidentally did this, or do you heat up progesterone? That's right. Yeah. That's right. So on the very front end, we have non-clinical team who's really walking you through, what is this process going to look like? They're going to get you the information you need about the financial components. Uh, and all that is done from the comfort of your home. You know, it's not, we're not making you go to the doctor for that. We're saying, we know this is a long process. We know this is a hard process. Let us accommodate you through it. So I that's, think that's huge. I think there's so many women that are just terrified to take that first step of even having that consult and saying like, you know, I'm just going to wait or I'm sure it's nothing. That's right. And another thing that we do, uh, we launched a mail kit that you do at home um, because, you know, big part, you have to get your partner involved early and often. So if it's a heterosexual couple, you can order a male infertility kit. Oh, uh, that's cool. Yeah. So I did modern fertility like back in 2019. They're mail, they, they mail you the kit, but it was only for like the female. And I guess I just like knew deep down I was going to have issues. <laughs> but I mean, everything came back. Mine's a whole different story, but everything came back normal, but they don't offer 
the male portion. So we partner with Posterity Health, who are amazing on the male side. Uh, they focus specifically on that in a really adaptive way. So yeah. we, what we did was we said, listen, we know this is a big part of you know the whole process, and how do we wrap around that service and again make it really easy. So when you're having that initial conversation, you can go on, click around, order the male infertility kit. And that comes with a baseline analysis that's all done remotely. So, you know, working with that male psychology that has a little even higher reluctance, I think, um, you know, not to generalize, but I think there is higher reluctance to have that conversation again, due to like social norms, et cetera. Well, yeah. And males don't really feel a lot of the times like they're like, they're going to have a fertility journey, right. Or they're going to be like, they just don't think of that traditionally. That's right. So, you know, we have those non-clinical conversations and say, hey, let's get you set up. Let's get you all the information you need. As you said, like, just have the conversation. We're we're not the type of uh, providers where we know that 80% of the time people aren't ready for treatment when they call in right away. Yeah. Um, unless they've had a failed cycle somewhere else and they want to give someone new a try, et cetera. So we offer all this information, you know, the male infertility kits, we, we feel like that's a really key piece. People can click and order that and then have that baseline analysis done before they even go for the fertility assessment. Um, and then once you have your fertility assessment, you know, if everything comes back, you're then enmeshed with our patient care, uh, our IVF nurses who sit remotely. And the reason we did that specifically is because when a nurse is in an office, she is getting pulled or he is getting pulled in a million different directions. And then on top of it, needing to be available for those patients for exactly what you said, you know, is the temperature right? Did I do this right? Is my injection, you know, what's going on? Um, The foresight that you guys did that to be remote. I mean, I can just tell you from my local community in our, in our, we have like a local fertility group and they're always like, so-and-so hasn't gotten back to me in two days. And like, this is time sensitive. I don't know what to do. And people switch clinics for that reason. So the foresight of having them remote is just incredible. Yeah. uh, We, and and we take it very seriously, you know, it's, and again, it's also, we were talking a lot about the patient, but we try to make it easy for the doctor too. You know, OB-GYNs unfortunately have increasingly become referral centers rather than specialists in a lot of you know, in a lot of realms. And we want to actually empower them to do what they love too, which is that patient care. And this taking and putting this part of the reproductive care journey back into their ecosystem is, I think, really empowering for these doctors as well. But we also want to be mindful that we're being efficient with their time, especially if they're going to maintain their OB-GYN practice, et cetera. Yeah, and you earlier said, you know, continuity of care. I mean, a lot of people the people that have success with fertility treatment, you know, they end up going back to the obstetrician at, you know, nine to 12 weeks. So to have that from the very beginning is so, I feel like just special. And it just probably increases just the continuity of care of, Hey, these nine to 12 weeks, your whole first trimester, I was with you. That's right. That's right. And it's, you know, there's a comfort level, right? You know, I, I personally, I went to my OB-GYN not too long ago and, you know, they had switched my OB-GYN and I was like, wait, you didn't tell me like, this is weird. Yeah. Um, And so, you know, and that was in a low risk, low pressure situation. Like when you're talking about something, you know, you want to go to the person you're familiar with. Um, And so I think I think there are a lot of OB-GYNs out there too, who have been interested in doing this. 
Um, but A, the rates of acceptance into the reproductive fellowship is really low, are really low. Um, and also B, you know, they can practice at the top of their license and do this uh, in a meaningful way and bring this care back into their ecosystem. And that's, you know, the, I feel like that's the undertouch part of it too, is, you know, these OB-GYNs have been overlooked in sort of the expansion of specialization of fertility care. And that doesn't make any sense to us. When you, when you sort of zoom out and you say, that, that doesn't make any logical sense why my OB-GYN couldn't do this one thing. They're monitoring me, as you said. They're doing all the ultrasounds. They're doing everything. Why can't we come up with a model that works for both the doctor and the patient? And that's what we've really tried to do. Yeah, that that is just incredible. I um, I briefly mentioned, like, I manage a ton of OB-GYN offices. And I mean, it sounds like, you know, like the egg retrieval piece, like that's an outpatient procedure at an RE clinic. Why couldn't it be one? You guys are so smart. I love this. Like, <laughs> this is just so, I mean, I'm just absolutely mind blown. I feel like I've just been totally thrown off, but I, what else do you want to share with listeners? I mean, I, so we're at the point we talked about, you go on, you take a quiz, they route you to the geographical region. You have options to buy male and female kits. Um, and then the IVF coordinator would kind of connect, not IVF coordinator, a coordinator could connect with you for a fertility assessment. And then really at that point, are you launched into these clinics? Yeah. So what we do, we spend a lot of time getting patients ready. Um, you know, whether it's just information, I would yeah. say that, you know, a big chunk of inbound calls that we get, it's just people wanting information. Um, and you know, that's important. That's the first step. Um, we get them information on what does it look like? We explain, we spend a lot more time, I think going through the details, um, because it matters at the end of the day, you know, it's, it's serious. It's and it, it's going to impact your life uh, immensely. It probably already has if you're even making that phone call. Yeah, um, and a lot to your point of just like over demand. A lot of these clinics are operating just like sweat houses. Like you're just a number. You're in and you're out. And I remember my very first fertility assessment. I was so excited. I thought, okay, now I can get answers. And I mean, she was looking at her watch, and it was fourteen. You know, it'd been fourteen and a half minutes, and she's like, "All right, like time to go." So I think that's that's just so beneficial to all women that probably would prefer to work with you guys or, or work with the obstetricians that you guys partner with. Yeah. And, you know, I look, I try not to be critical because we all know that patient, you know, the healthcare system is a bit broken in our country, right? A and bit. It's, <laughs> um, it's become a volume based game, whereas there's not a lot of business model innovation. And at the core, we're not saying or doing anything other than innovating how we operate the business and connecting the pieces in a different way to make the patient experience better and to make the doctor's experience better. But then also one of the things that we're doing um, that's different is as a third party. So we're not actually, you know, uh, providing performing yeah. procedures. We're enabling these providers to do it and we're overseeing it. So we're a third party who's looking from a quality analysis and quality assurance perspective and saying, okay, this is how you're, you're doing here. Um, let's look at, you know, what happened here and let's look at what happened. And so n most fertility, they're historically pretty closed with the information because, you know, you have to report to the CDC or SART or um, both. And, you know, we want to be able to really improve outcomes at mm -hmm. the end of the day 
by using data and information and by having us as a third party overseeing how how everyone's performing and doing, it really enables us to have more candid conversations. And like I said, be patient advocates uh, and really try to increase the outcomes to the extent that's, you know, humanly or scientifically possible. Absolutely. That is such a, a just an amazing mission. And I, I mean, I'm so excited we've connected. I would love to work together on the East Coast and see what we can do over here. I know Charleston's saturated, but even then, to, you mentioned earlier, just to get a, a consultation is three to six months out. You're just saying, wow. yeah. And because I mean, Charleston, I guess everybody has infertility, but you know, we have four clinics and even then it's almost impossible to get in. Wow. Uh, and that's not a huge population. Uh, what's the population of Charleston? 1.2 million? It, yeah, you're, you're so spot on. Yeah, it is. And so that's why to me, when you said, you know, only like 2% are either receiving the care or going through fertility, like, I just have a local support group here of 75 women. <laughs> and that's just in, you know, local Charleston that are actively going through something like this. Um, yeah. But- well, you know, one of the things that we look at, too, I think that people um, you know, we only know what we know, right? And there's not a ton of information out there. And you hear, like I said, Jennifer Aniston come out and talk about her IVF journey, but now she's, you know, 50 years old and et cetera. Um, so we have this association that it's an older woman problem. You know, the average age of our patients in Oklahoma is 31, 32. It's not the 37, 38, 39 that you see in uh, major metropolitan areas. So, you know, we don't know necessarily, we don't have enough data to say why. Um, But I always like to, you know, I'm a big believer in analogies. And one of the things I always think about, you know, I grew up in rural Virginia and I've lived away from home since I was 18. Um, Everybody in my family and my brother's wife's family has had kidney stones, right? I've never had kidney stones. To me, that tells me that indicates that there's something in the geography that's indicating kidney stones. And so I, as a naturally curious person, and seeing that the average age is lower than what is reported as the average age of infertility treatment in our flagship in Oklahoma, I'll be curious to see if that's the case when we go into other more underserved markets. You know, is the average age of infertility in the United States decreasing? I, I definitely, yeah. I mean, I definitely would agree. Our Amanda couldn't be on today, but Amanda's in her twenties, and I think she was twenty-five when she started her. You know, she has a son through um, embryo adoption now, but um, yeah, in her twenties, I started. I was twenty-seven, twenty-eight when we started going through, you know, recurrent miscarriage. So that's a that's a great point as well. Yeah, I mean, it when we're looking at it pretty macroscopically, we don't know what we don't know. And because we've only been treating such a small percentage of the population, there are a lot of things out there that we just don't know the answers to. Uh, we don't know if the average age is, like I said, diminishing significantly, um, but it's important information for people to have. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, this is just, I'm, I'm so enlightened by this concept and I think listeners are just going to probably be like flooding to the website to, to see where you guys are. And I'm super excited for you to continue to expand within the United States. Are there, I know we kind of briefly touched on just like the exclusivity in America and like who can get treatment. Is there anything additional you wanted to touch on on that? Um, Yeah, I mean, you know, for me personally, as a member of the LGBTQ community, it's really important that, you know, 
we increase awareness about bias and what's okay and what's not. Um, you know, it's really, we make sure that all of our providers, you know, as much as they're screening us, do they want to be a part of the mission and model? We're also screening them. You know, we want to partner with providers who really have that openness and willingness to treat all patients equal. Um, whether it's, you know, BIPOC patients or LGBTQ, you know, we know that there are biases in, in the industry. We can also see historically who's being treated. So we know that there's a pretty big gap um, in access in general. Uh, we just want to make sure that it's a really accommodating process. I think the blended model as well is really, really important um, for that patient satisfaction and ease of the experience because it's not an easy experience. Um, you know, and we're looking for, and I have, you know, a massive list of the markets that we like. Um, you know, ob might be listening to this too. So if they're interested and say, yeah, my patient, you know, I have 20 patients a week asking me about infertility. I'm already treating, you know, numerous patients on a monthly basis with IUIs. Um, I'm doing X, I'm doing, I'm doing monitoring for another facility. Why am I not capturing that piece of revenue? That's the most significant piece of revenue, if we're being candid. Um, and so, you know, we really want to sort of look at it just holistically and say, how do we ameliorate a bad situation um, just with business model innovation? You know, we're taking the experts, the reproductive endocrinologists, we're codifying a lot of their decision making into our technology that we use. And then on the back end as well with the labs, uh, we make sure that we're overseeing them in a meaningful way and staying at the forefront of um technology and efficiencies as well. Yeah. And that's the last thing I really kind of wanted to touch on and just understand is I know you talked about the labs and I know that's super important to a lot of people when they're looking into, okay, I'm going to use this center, but what's the, what does their lab look like? And some of the centers here in Charleston don't even have their own lab. And so then that's outsourced. What does that look like with a lot of your providers? Because like the, um, the freezing of the eggs and just having the embryologist, what does that kind of look like with mate? Yeah, so we actually build a lab. We oversee it. Um, you know, our doctors own their labs. It's not us. We don't own your lab, um, but we oversee the build out of that. And we also help to hire the right embry embryologist because it's a really important position. Yes. And we have PhD lab directors that sit on our team as well um, and help oversee everything. Again, back to that quality assurance. You know, we're a third party making sure everything's going the way it's supposed to be going. Um, but when you think about it, the infrastructure and the ecosystem, you, again, you, you can think about it as continuity of care. I don't want my stuff being moved around. I want it happening right there. Um, we do for longer term storage have alternative arrangements, but um, for short term storage, when you're going to be using your embryos pretty straight away, those are stored right there on site. Um, so, you know, we make sure that everything is in house so that it's really efficient for the doctor, for the patient, for the embryologist. And it also reduces any risk of any type of transportation issues, et cetera. Um, and, you know, it's really important, I think. And our goal isn't to have these huge facilities doing thousands and thousands of cycles a year. It's really to put them in community-based centers and that need it and build, you know, a robust system that can accommodate, you know, even more remote locations. So in Oklahoma, as an example, he's going to be expanding his lab capacity so that he can put a satellite facility in some surrounding areas that have even less access to care to make that patient journey easy as well.
Oh, this is just so incredible. I feel so honored to have sat down and chatted with you. Um, thank you so much for being on. Is there anything else you want to share with listeners? We'll definitely add your Instagram handle is at mate, M-A-T-E fertility. That's right. And then the website is www.matefertility.com. That's right. Awesome. Well, is, if there's nothing else, I mean, thank you so much for your time. This was, this was very enlightening to me. And I know I live in one of these very overpopulated areas, but I know several of our listeners probably wish they would have heard this prior to going through IVF. I know one of the girls was driving six hours one way um, and having wow. them like stop and pull over to give her injections because she wasn't even getting home in time to do that. So this is a much, much needed service. I'm so excited to follow all along the journey and the growth of the company. Um, yeah, thank well, you. Thank you so much, Catherine. And I'll look forward and any follow-ups, feel free to send them my way.